Well, it is really, really good to see all of y'all. If you're a guest here, my name's David, and uh, I'm the pastor. We're glad you're here. Glad you're watching online. Want you to know you're always welcome. Whatever we got going on, we can help you out. Just be a part of it. And uh, it's just a joy to have you today. Uh, next week, we start a whole new series. Uh, we're going to start a series out of the Psalms, the book of Psalms, called Songs in the Key of Life. Uh, you know, the Psalms, for some of you, that's your favorite part of Scripture. <clears throat> and so the Psalms really speak to you. And, and uh, I'm not going to actually be preaching this series. Uh, the pastor, other pastors on staff are, the other guys are. And I'm going to be in, in worshiping with y'all uh, out there enjoying it and then uh, pick back up in March. But today we're going to finish off uh, the series we're in now called The One Who Makes Sense of It All. It's a series about God and the fact that God is the only one who can make sense in life. Because let's be honest, sometimes in our life it just simply doesn't make sense. I mean, we, we want it to make sense. You know, we, we try hard. You know, we try to do all the right things, say all the right things. We try to be good. We try to do all the things we can do. And life didn't make sense. Sometimes it's because of loss in our life. Sometimes it's because of failure. Things beyond our control, things that frustrate us. Maybe uh, if things in your family that are just struggling. Life sometimes doesn't make sense. And this has been a series really about God. God is the one who makes sense of it all. He's the, it, it, he's the one who is holy. He's the one who reveals things to us. He's the one who has power to create everything. He is the one who is just. He sets all things right. But today we're going to conclude this series with probably that one thing about God that's most important to us. This is the thing about God that's most important to me. Through all of my, my studies and through all the theology and all the doctrines that I know, this is the thing that matters the most, that God, he is the one who loves. God loves me. And more than anything else, that's what speaks to me. And there's one verse that is known better than all the other verses in the New Testament, probably than all the other verses of Scripture. It is the verse that speaks to the love of God in John 3.16. And most of you probably know it by heart. John 3.16 simply says this, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that anyone who might believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life. So as I conclude this series, here's the thing that I want you to know. God loves us. And life will only make sense when we know that love, when we experience that love, when that love becomes real in our life. So I'm going to begin the message today uh, talking about the most important religious meeting ever. <laughs> within, within the world of Christianity, there's been a lot of religious meetings, you know, and, and, and you know, through our history, there's councils and, you know, there's all these different things and, and uh, different kind of meetings. I mean, as a Baptist, I'm used to meetings. You know, one of the things that I've tried very hard is to cut back on the number of meetings. One of my greatest successes in 40 years of pastoring is every church I've went to, I have cut back on the number of meetings because it's ridiculous. But this meeting that we're going to talk about is so important because it's a meeting between Jesus. Now, if you're going to meet with somebody, Jesus is the one you want to meet with, right? And Nicodemus. And John chapter 3 tells us about this meeting, the Gospel of John, the third chapter. It says to us that Nicodemus, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, or was a Pharisee, and he was one of the rulers of the Jews, and he came to Jesus one night. Now, as a Pharisee, he was a part of a group of guys who, who really sought to be in right standing with God. I preached about in the religious system of the Jews about a year and a half ago. But the thing about it is the Pharisees and other religious leaders, but they had taken the Jewish faith and they had turned it into this system of works. And it was difficult and it was harsh. And, you know, there was over 1,600 600 laws you had to keep. And, you know, when they were fanatical and they, and they, 
they cut everything down to, to the, the smallest part. I mean, you, you know, you couldn't work on the Sabbath means you couldn't even boil an egg, you know? You couldn't, you couldn't pluck a gray hair on the Sabbath. Some of you women wouldn't even know how to get ready for church without doing that, man. <laughs> Men don't care. We just, whatever. But I mean, this is, this is the way it goes. And this is, this is how just crazy this system has gotten. And, and Nicodemus, he was in all the way. I mean, he was a good guy. I mean, he, he, he was undoubtedly, he was loved by the people just by the face of him. I mean, he probably did all he could. The fact that he was sensitive enough to want to come to Jesus, he was a ruler of the Jews. He was part of a, this elite group of 70 people who on the religious scale made the decisions for the Jewish people. They were the ones, by the way, who eventually put Jesus to death, though Nicodemus and several others didn't have any part of that. I mean, this was the guy, and this was a brilliant man. He knew all the Jewish law. And so he had this problem. I mean, life wasn't making sense because he knew what his religion said. He knew what the expectations he had created was. But Jesus didn't meet that. I mean, Jesus would break the laws of the Sabbath. Jesus didn't respect the way they thought they should, the Pharisees and the others. But here's the thing he couldn't deny. Jesus was unbelievable because he did miracles no one else could do but God. I mean, in his life, Nicodemus, all of a sudden, just, this just didn't add up. So he comes to Jesus. He said, he came to him by night. Some people make a big deal that he came by night. Who cares when he came? Yeah, it's probably when he had time. <laughs> you come to Jesus. Came to Jesus. And he said, Rabbi, teacher, you have to be from God because no one could do what you do. And the implication, though, is, but I don't get this. I don't understand this. But before he can say anything else, Jesus cut him off. <laughs> Jesus did what only Jesus could do. He looked at Nicodemus, this religious ruler. I mean, this Pharisee of Pharisees. If there was ever a guy who got the Jewish system right, it was Nicodemus. And he said, Nicodemus, you must, you must be born again. Which means, Nicodemus, you must be born in a completely different way. You need a spiritual rebirth. And Nicodemus now is really confused. And so he begins this dialogue with Jesus. And as they have this dialogue, and mostly it's Jesus talking, Jesus gets to the point, you know, and John condenses this down. But in verse 14 and 15, we see Jesus make an allusion back to the Old Testament, to something that Nicodemus would know in Numbers chapter 21. When in the wilderness, the people of Israel... Because of their disobedience to God, we're being, we're being attacked by these poisonous snakes, and they didn't know what to do. And so God told Moses, and Moses did it. He raised the pole up, and there was this image of this bronze snake on the pole. And if they looked up at the snake, they were healed. And so Jesus says, just as the serpent was lifted up, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And all who believe will have eternal life. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be lifted up. So that all who believe would have eternal life. And then Jesus gets to what we call John 3.16 and the verses that follow. These verses, critical in John 3.16. Almost every word in this verse is just important. And so, and, you know, and, and it's written in the Greek. And I realize you don't care a lick about Greek. I get that. I get that. I understand that more than you realize. Sometimes I don't care about Greek. But sometimes in the original language, there are things that are important. So I'm going to go through this verse and I'm going to point those things out. It starts off with four. The word four matters because it means in the same way. He's, Jesus in John 3, 16 is looking back to what he just said about being lifted up. In the same way, God. This is, this is about God. By the way, salvation always begins with God. If at any point your understanding of salvation begins with you, you have messed up. You're in the wrong place. Salvation 
always begins with God. He says, so God, and then comes this word, this is unbelievably important word, loved. God so loved. And so I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about love because this is the key to it all, is the word love. In the Greek language, it is the word agape. If you've grown up in church life at all, you've probably heard the word agape. In the Greek language, there were several really key words for love. The most dominant word for love in the Greek language, in the Greek word world, was the word eros. We get our word erotic from it. It's just the, the basic normal word for love, just like our word for love. You know how you might say, you know, you, you love your spouse? Yeah, you know, that's that word. You love, you know, you love, you love pizza? Yeah, yeah okay, got it. You love, you love your favorite football team? Yeah, you know, you love them. You love, you love the, the, the sound of the rain on a tin roof on a hot summer's night? Yeah, you know, you love that. Somebody got that song, probably. This is things you love. You love your dog, you love your cat, you love. That's Eros. Never used in the New Testament, ever. The word eros is never used because they didn't want people to get confused with when they spoke about love with eros. Another word in the Greek language for love, storge, is, is never used either. It's a derivative that's used of it, but it really has the idea of parents loving kids, and that's great. There's the word for love, phileo. Uh, it's kind of the term brotherly love, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That word is used, and uh, it's used of affection. It's, it's, it just means warm friendship. I mean, you know, you, you, you love your best friend, you know, just, it's, it's a word that has emotional depth to it, and it's an important word. In fact, sometimes John uses that word synonymously with the word agape, which is the other word used, agape. Here's the interesting thing. Just like eros is never used in the New Testament, the word agape is basically never used outside of the New Testament. Only once or twice in any of the Greek readings can you ever find this word. In fact, we don't really even know what it means outside the New Testament. And the interesting thing is, when they began writing stuff, they began to take this word. They, they usually, you know, Jesus spoke in Aramaic, kind of a form of Hebrew. When he's with Nicodemus, they're speaking their language. They're not speaking Greek. And so somehow John and, the, and, and guys just said, what we're going to do is we're going to take love. And we're going to express it in a way that's not been expressed before. And maybe it was Jesus who told them to do this at another point when we speak in Greek. We don't know. And so they just word agape. And this word agape is important because what it means, it is a love that is giving of yourself. You see, eros, that love, always begins with you. It's a love about you. But agape is a love about the others. God loves means God's thinking about us. Us. His love for us. It is a word that is unconditional in its love. It always puts the other first. In fact, love means sacrifice. It's a self-giving love. It is a love of commitment. You're committed to the other person in your love for them. So it makes it so important. And it doesn't mean you give them whatever they want. Sometimes when you love someone, you know, you don't give them what they want because it's not loving. It's kind of like parent. It's the kind of love that really, it's your heart of hearts you have as a parent. You know, when you're a parent and, and you first get your baby, and that baby's born. We're, by the way, we have a lot of babies coming up being born. I don't know if you know that. I go a lot. I don't know. Quarantine's been good for something, I guess. It's good for populating our nursery. In about four or five months, three months, we're going to need a lot more help down in Wombley. And I'm telling you that right now. And, and you just love a child with everything you have. And as a child gets older, you keep loving your baby. And even when your kid, you know, goes through the terrible twos, threes, all terrible, all the way up to 16 or 17, man. You love your child. And, and so one day your child comes to you. Your child's like 15 or 16. Anybody besides Debbie and I, empty nesters? Raise your hand. 
You remember when your kids, he had them for 15 and 16? Boy, in those days, they're over, aren't they? You look back, we survived. You got to have a shirt. We survived the teenage years. And you know what's coming? And, and I got a staff, and they're full of guys with a bunch of kids that's going to be teenagers soon. A couple of them already are. And I'm just sitting back saying, this is going to be fun, man. I can't wait to watch this. And I know how their kids are. They're, some of those kids are going to be so much trouble. It's going to be so fun. And I'm like, I want some popcorn for this, man. I just want to watch this ride play out. This is going to be fantastic. Can you imagine when your 15 or 16-year-old comes up? You know how those kids are? They think they can do whatever they want. And they say, Dad, man, I want to go to a party. And you ask the next question, right, where is this party going to be? And they say, Dad, this party is going to be at the frat, one of the frat houses on the college campus. And what are you going to say to that kid? You're going to say, no. In, in some form, you're saying no. I know what form I said it. And your kid's going to say, but if you love me, you love me. No, 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 no. I love you. That's why you ain't going. In fact, I love you so much. That night, I'm handcuffing you to me because I don't trust you. <laughs> it's the love that puts their best interest first, even if they don't realize it. And it's the type of love that is always missing. It is always missing. Listen, it is always missing in religion. Because religion doesn't teach us how God loves us. Think about it. I mean, even in Nicodemus' religion. But it, if you go to the Old Testament, it talks about the love of God all the time. But when you come to the New Testament, their religious system, they left love out. Then you loved God, yeah. And you loved other people. They never talked about God loving. I mean, in, in the paganism, they, they never talk about gods and goddesses loving us. I mean, if you ever watch, I watched a movie not too long ago, and, and Zeus was talking about, you know, Zeus was involved about how the gods love the people. Bull, they don't love. They just made that up in Hollywood. In paganism, gods and goddesses never love people. In Islam, well, the, the, the aspect of love is there, but they never talk about it. They just ignore it. And you come to Eastern religions. They have no idea, no, no clue, no concept of God loving us. It is in Christianity that tells us God loves us. And Jesus looked at this religious leader who was just trapped in his religious system, who had forgotten all about the unbelievable love of God, and he says, Nicodemus, get this, God so loved, and what did he love? He loved the world, cosmos. And the world, that word cosmos, and by the way, that is the critic. It's not cosmos or cosmos. So I hear all those things. It's cosmos. I know it because I failed that part of the Greek test one time. <laughs> it can mean one of three things. It can mean the world as the earth. We live in it. It can mean people. He's got the whole world in his hands. Or it can mean a world, a culture, a people in opposition to God, which is normally what it means. Here, it most likely means just people, us. God so loved us, people, people in rebellion against him, people sinning against him. He created us. He loves us even though we rebel. It's an amazing thing to think about in all our rebellion, in all our sin. God still loves us. Holy God loves me. So much, in fact, that he says he gave. The word gave means to, to give for our best interest, to expect nothing in return. It's just to give. He gave something. Well, what did he give? He gave his son, his only son, his one and only son. 
That's what that means. The term one and only speaks of uniqueness. It is the uniqueness of his son. There is something about Jesus. It's completely different. First of all, he's completely different because he's God's son. Secondly, it's because he's God in the flesh. John, in just the brilliance of his gospel, in all the gospels, if you understand how they're written, it's just amazing, just the, the brilliance of how they're written. He begins his gospel telling us, in the beginning was the word. That term word, lakos, is Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God. And in verse 14 he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, the only one, the one and only Jesus. He is the only one, the only son of God. God gave him to the world. And then this phrase comes up so that it, it marks the term in the Greek, the henna is what I mean is the word. It marks purpose or result. And, and here it marks purpose. And, and the verse kind of takes a turn because it's talking about God, something that God has done. And now it talks about something that we must respond, a way we must respond. And so it says, so that everyone, anyone, whoever, any person might believe. That word believe, really important word. It's a word of faith, of trust. In fact, th this verse has several key, key words, terms, love and belief. God loves, we, we need to believe, is to have faith, is to trust. And, and it's kind of like agape. Agape is a sacrificial love, a commitment. You commit to the other person in love. The word for faith, the word pistis or belief, pistuo, same word, means to commit to the other person in trust. You can commit in love, you commit in trust. And it's not just that you believe things, but you, but you give yourself to, over to. It's like planes. And we all believe that planes fly, right? I mean, we look up there's a plane. And we know it flies, but not everyone has faith to get on that plane. <laughs> I mean, every time I fly, I'm having faith. I'm having faith in the company who built that plane. By the way, that was the company who got it with the lowest bid. You know that, right? That's who you're flying. On. And I'm flying on a pilot I don't know. For all I know, he finished last in pilot school. He may have been the last one in pilot school. Well, you're a pilot. I was the last one in my seminary class. I could have, you know, same thing. You don't know what you're getting, man. He may have just left the bar five minutes ago with a couple of drinks just to calm his nerves. You have no idea what you got, and you're flying on that plane. That's faith. It's to believe. You're taking your life, and you're trusting the pilot and the people who made that plane. Jesus says, you believe in him, and him is Jesus, in. And that word in, it doesn't seem important. It's so important. In, in, in the Greek language, prepositions speak of movement. This is actually the preposition into. Into always speaks of movement. From You move into someplace. You're over there. You come here. There's into. You're moving. It, it's, and you're coming into Jesus. You were outside of Jesus. You were outside of faith. Now you're coming into faith. There's a, there's a point. There's a place. There's a time. You become saved. You become a believer. It's like this. If you go out in the commons, you know, and you spend the whole morning out here on Sunday, you know we're worshiping in here. You know it's just worship. I mean, people come back and say, there's worship in there. It's great, man. I mean, the music's good. It's dark. They got fog coming up. I'm sorry, they got haze coming up, you know, out of the ceiling. They got lasers on, supposedly, when they work, you know. It's all the music's good. Then the preacher's great, you know, all that stuff's going on, you know. I think people say that. I don't know. In my mind, they say that. <laughs> that doesn't do you any good because you're out there. You're out in the commons. 
You've not worshiped. You're not worshiping. You're out there. You know what's happening. You know when you can worship? When the doors are open and you're invited in. And at that point, you have to do something. You have to go from out there into here. There's movement. That's what's called, that's what it means when you believe in two. You go from being outside of Jesus into Jesus, and you don't get to pick when. You don't get to decide. We open the doors when we're ready. It's supposed to be five minutes till, but it doesn't always work that way. We, open, we tell you when the doors are open, and you get to come inside. Jesus invites us to believe in him. And if you believe in him, it says you will not perish. The word perish means to be destroyed. Eternally, it speaks of eternal death. It speaks of spiritual death. It speaks of hell. John Piper says, hell is the worst outcome of this life. You realize that, don't you? See, we have to understand that God looks at things eternally, not just earthly. Eternally, we're going, there is something past this life, okay? There's something beyond this life. There's eternity, there's forever. And there's either eternity with God or eternity away from God. And the eternity away from God is the destruction. It is the perishing. In John 10, verse 27 and following, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall by no means perish. They shall not. It's impossible for them to perish, Jesus said. Once I save you, you can't perish. Here Jesus says, if you believe, you will not perish. You will not spend eternity in hell, but you will have eternal life. Life the way it's meant to have. Eternal life. Forever life. You realize everybody spends forever somewhere, don't you? Think about it. You're going to spend forever somewhere. You're either going to spend forever perishing for all eternity, or you're going to spend forever living for all eternity with Jesus. Don't you want to live? Jesus goes on in verse 17 to say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, that you might have life, that you might live. We all want to live. One of my favorite movies is Van Helsing. You ever see Van Helsing? It's a good movie. Now, Hugh Jackman's in it. You know, it's a good movie. Kate Beckinsale's in it. That's no, a good movie. <laughs> Kate Beckinsale's wearing leather the whole thing. You realize that? She's wearing black leather. She got leather boots. She got leather pants. She got a leather vest. I'm watching it one time. I said, Debbie, why don't you dress like Kate Beckinsale? <laughs> and she said, I will when you look like Hugh Jackman. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. So I bought a hat. <laughs> I'll tell you something. In that movie, they kill monsters, right? That's what they do. And he's got a sidekick named Carl. And there's Frankenstein. Frankenstein is just, he's like full of, he's just a human, all parts, 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 parts. He's like, you know, a, a Mac Nugget or something. He's a Mac, Mac Monster. He's just all parts. And they're supposed to kill him. And he's holding onto a rope. And sidekick Carl's got the other side of that rope. Frankenstein says, help me. Help me. Carl says, but you're supposed to die. Frankenstein says, I want to live. And every time I see that scene, every time, I mean, every time I think that is humanity. We really do want to live. We're these and some of these monsters we've created, we're sinning against God and we've rebelled and things aren't right and we're just all these parts that are together and, and life doesn't make sense and it's assembled strange and there's all this sin in our life and we deserve to die because of our sin. 
We deserve to perish, but we want to live. You know, Nicodemus, all he wanted was to live, and that's why he came to Jesus. To Jesus, I mean, he's he's been spending his life that way, man, in the system. And something was wrong. His life didn't make sense because here was Jesus basically refuting everything Nicodemus believed in. And Nicodemus, here's the thing, he spent his lifetime believing and working in a system he thought would save him. And Jesus comes along and he's telling him, it won't save you. He had been preaching that and teaching that. I mean, you're early in the book of John, but you're about halfway through Christ's ministry. I mean, he has done some unbelievable things. And Nicodemus says it doesn't make sense. It goes against everything I've been working for. And Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, listen to me. You've got to be born again. Which means this. Nicodemus, you must believe in me. Because your works won't save you. You and I worked so hard to get right with God. That's why life doesn't make sense. Because we think, God, I'm good enough. I'm better than that guy over there. And everything seems to be going good for him. God, why, why am I losing? Why, why is my family coming apart? God, why have I lost my job? Why am I sick? I do all these things for you. I believe all this stuff about you. I try so hard. God, it doesn't make sense, and it doesn't make sense because we keep working in a system that'll never work. And it's not that our problems all get better. And it's not that everything goes away. It's just something about God and trusting him in Christ where life makes sense. You see, we do everything we can do, and nothing works. What can we do? Nothing. But here's the thing. God can do something, and he did. In his love for us, his love for us, he sent Jesus to save us by the cross. Oh, by the cross. He had to go to the cross. He had to be lifted up on that cross. He hadn't done it yet. When he was at John 3, no, 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 he hadn't done it yet, but he was going there. It would be Nicodemus' buddies that he'll put him there. Not Nicodemus, but his buddies. Jesus went to that cross and he died and God raised him back to life so that you and I could have life. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us. You know, we sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that's the truth. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus loves me, this I know, because of the cross. That's how I know. And that's because God loves us and sent him there. And the thing is, we can't do it on our own. We try. But what does it take? What do we do? We're we're out there in the commons. We want to come into the worship center. But we can't come in. We can't come in until Jesus offers us that chance. And he does right now. So here's the thing. We must believe. Have faith. Trust Jesus. Then we have eternal life. Then and only then will life make sense. Because then we have the eternal aspect. We see things from the way God sees it. We see all eternity. And all of a sudden, what happens here and now, and all the sin and all the failure and all the loss and all the frustration, we see it for what it really is. It's man in rebellion against this holy God 
who has revealed himself to us, who created us, who is just, but who loves us. We get it now, and it doesn't matter because here's what I know. I'm going to spend forever somewhere, and I'm going to spend forever with Jesus because I trusted him, and I trusted him because God loved me. This has been a series about God. He's holy. He reveals. He creates. He's just. And he loves. But the truth of the matter is, really, it's been a series about us. It's about the fact that in our sin, in our failure, in our system, life doesn't make sense. And it never will until we realize this one great truth, that God so loved us that he gave us his only son. And that if you would but believe in him, you will never perish, but you have eternal life. Do you have eternal life? If not, would you like to? Because all you have to do is trust Jesus with your life. It's not complicated. It's not hard. It doesn't involve a series of teachings. It doesn't belong a series of things you've got to believe. You don't have to go to a class. All you have to do is when he opens that door, you come into through faith. And that door is wide open. And Christ is asking you to trust him. And if you've never trusted him with your life, you can do it right now. If you're watching online, you can trust Jesus. And, and if you want to talk to one of us online, you can you know, email us. or the, I think there will be a number on the screen in a little bit. You can text to that number. And someone will get with you and... Those of you that are here, listen, if you're ready to give your life to Christ, you just do it right where you're seated. But what you can also do is we're going to have some people standing up here. You can come talk to one of us. Ladies, if you'd rather talk to another lady, you can come talk to someone like that, another woman. But listen, you want to come talk to us? If you want to wait later in the week, that's fine. This is it. It's time to give your life to Jesus. You're going to spend forever somewhere. Where are you going to spend forever? Where are you going to spend forever? When you walk out this door today, Walk out with this one thing. Walk out of here trusting Jesus because God loves you. Father, we thank you for that love. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. Lord, it's not ours to decide, but you give it to us in Jesus. You just show us you love us. So, Father, in the name of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask that those who have not experienced your love they had not experienced that love that you give to us in Christ. They would this very moment do that by trusting Jesus to be their Savior, by believing, by moving into him, coming from without, moving to within through faith. Give them that faith. Give them that strength. Let them today, Father, experience your love. Let them, Father, know what it means for life to make sense. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We'll be here at the front to greet you. Come.